this last week, my wife and I celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary. Yeah, exactly. The way our schedule went, we got to celebrate it twice. Last weekend, we uh, went out for dinner. It was actually on our anniversary, April 2nd. And then uh, the last 24 hours, uh, we were in Canmore Friday and Saturday, and it was just spectacular weather that we uh, were able to enjoy. And I was thinking about, you know, uh, Gwen and I met, uh, so it's 28 years, we met about 30 years ago, or just over that. And as we start, started dating, you know, when you have this kind of first love experience, or, you know, as you're getting more serious, you do things that, when I think back now as a dad, and if my kids are doing them, I go, that was stupid. Right, so you're, we're doing things where um, I was. We, we uh, I moved to Saskatoon while we were dating, and I was an, an unpaid intern in a church. So uh, I had some people who were supporting me financially, but uh, you know, so living off fumes basically. And um, but it would do things like uh, drive back to Winnipeg to surprise her for dinner. So I get friends to take her out to console her that she's alone, and and then I'd show up at the restaurant. Right, and I've driven nine hours to get there to surprise her for dinner. Uh, you know, so we would do things like that. Things that you do when you're in love that, that, that you go, well, that's pure, that's incredibly logical to do that. Uh, why wouldn't I do that? And then, uh, you know, as I said, thanks, Colton. As I said, as an, uh, an unpaid intern, and so I did what every good in love unpaid intern does. I bought her an um, a, a, uh, engagement ring on Visa. Don't ask me how I even had a Visa card, but, you know, it's like, will you marry me and come pay my debt off? <laughs> we got married. We were both unemployed when we got married because she was working for a mission agency, moved to Saskatoon, and, uh, and so we were both unemployed, actually, when we got married. See, so, you know, you do all kinds of things in that first love experience, and it's been fun watching my kids now. Uh, Carter, my middle son, got married. Uh, year and a half ago, so he's been going through those things, and, and uh, my youngest just started dating a gal and went through what's become a bit of a family tradition, I guess, uh, of asking uh, the father of the girl if he could date her, someone he's never met. So he phones me the other day, and he says, Dad, I, I want to ask Mr. Weeb if I, can, if I can take out his daughter. What do I say? And he says, and then he thinks for a second, he goes, you don't have any daughters. What do you know? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so we chatted about it. And, you know, then I got a text back uh, after it all happened. He goes, that was terrifying. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> and I said, did he make you squirm? Yeah, he did. I said, Good, he should. <laughs> Actually, that was the reason I really wanted daughters, just so I could make young men squirm. <laughs> so I feel a little ripped off in that regard. Uh, but that whole first love thing, right? It's just, it just, you just change. You do things that you didn't even know you would have the courage to do. Well, then I think about my first love experience with Jesus. 18 years old, uh, come to know Christ. And, um, and I've told this story for those of you who've been around before. But I said, uh, you know, we had baptism last week here, which was awesome. And when I was sitting out there in my parents' church, watching people get baptized, I said, I will never get baptized. Why? Because I'm not going up there to talk in front of people. <laughs> I know. I said, that is not going to happen. And then I met Jesus. 
And uh, I was in Colorado when I became a Christ follower. And the next chance to get baptized was Easter Sunday uh, of 1980. And, uh, and I, it's like I phoned them up. I said, okay, let's go. I want to do this. I can't wait. Uh, of course, now I've done this for a living for however many decades. But because God does something. It changes things. That's what first love does. It just, everything shifts. And it's true spiritual. I remember the first time I took communion. Looking at the elements of bread representing the body and juice representing the blood and going, he did this for me. I did nothing to deserve this. No merit, all grace. Oh my goodness. Wow. Just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. And that kind of faith is contagious, right? That's what people just can't help talk about. Because whatever's inside of you that's bubbling out, whether it's talking about your, your, your first love or your engagement or same experience you have when you have a kid, you just, you know, you, you always bring, at least now it's digital, before you brought your 30 pictures inside your, your uh, you know, you keep showing people your pictures before. Now at least you can say, okay, look, 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 look. Then with grandparents, all our friends are becoming grandparents. Same thing. It's, it's probably worse, actually, with the grandparent thing. Because you're so excited. You can't help. Well, Paul, writing in the book of Ephesians, is describing this. And we're going to do a sprint through Ephesians this morning. I'll have to warn you. We're going to have a lot to cover in a short amount of time. But I think it's so important. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, And now you Gentiles who have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he, that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would, we would praise and glorify him. So Paul is saying, this is who you are when he's writing this group of churches based out of Ephesus. This place where the whole world came to hear the gospel. Why? I uh, found this out. My wife and I were in Ephesus um, a year and a half ago. Uh, in Ephesus, where Paul preached, uh, just down the street from where he preached was a library, and by the library is a gate, and on the side of that gate, our Muslim guide said to us, uh, there's a little carving in the, in the uh, side there uh, of a Hindu god, and it's just an impression, maybe a quarter inch deep, and he said, that proves that what your Bible, what you Christians believe is true, that the gospel that Paul preached went everywhere because of Ephesus. Because that, I, that carving shows us that the whole world came here. So when Paul preached down the street at the, at the theater there, which seats 24,000 people, uh, everyone from around the world heard. And so it went everywhere because the whole world showed up in Ephesus. So this is where Paul is writing to. And he says, you folks in Ephesus... You heard this, and you responded, and God, because he gave you his Holy Spirit, which he gives to every Christ follower, sealed his inheritance in you. And Paul's like, it's so amazing that you responded to this. He's so excited about it. And that's the mark of a world-changing church. See, a world-changing church is really full of world-changing people. Why, are they, why is it full of world-changing people? Because every, every Christ follower is a world-changer. Because of what Paul just described, the unmerited grace of God, the inheritance proven and sealed in us through the presence and the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
And then he says in verse 15, Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. So when people respond to the gospel and they have that first love that oozes out of people, it is inspiring to others around the globe. One of the great privileges I get to experience in my job is I get to travel the country. So this uh, year, I think I've preached in eight, nine different churches from coast to coast. Um, And I get to experience this. And then as part of my job, I get to join our global family at least once a year. So in May, actually, end of May, I'll be going to Panama. uh, Because that's where we'll meet as a global family. And every time I go, I hear stories from around the globe that I go, wow, that is so inspiring. How God is working in Laos where people are coming to Christ daily uh, through the miracles of God. Our, our church in Laos is bigger than our church in Canada, by the way. That's all happened in the last 20 years because God is moving. Where I sit with our, our sister denomination, Ethiopia. Uh, I was there just over a year ago, and the guy said, uh, meeting with the leaders, people who do the same work I do there, and, and uh, Ted, Teddy is the leader there, and he says, well, we have, we have a simple plan uh, to double the size of our denomination in, uh, in Ethiopia. And they have half a million um, members and about, a, uh, sorry, a quarter million members and about half a million attenders in the church in Ethiopia. And I said, well, you know, typical North American. So what's the plan? We always want a big plan, right? Well, he said, we're going to, uh, we're going to invite and inspire every one of our members to lead one person to Christ in the next year. That's our plan. And he didn't add, you idiot. (laughs) That's what I added in my head. Of course, that's what every Christ follower should be doing, leading a person to Jesus. And then he said, we're going to disciple those new people, and they're going to do that in the next two years after that. And they'll probably do it. Because since 1991, the Ethiopian church has grown from 50,000 to 500,000. I go, that's inspiring. That's inspiring, because that's how God works. See, a world-changing church is filled with people who love Jesus, and it's an encouragement to all. That's why I always try and pass the stories along of what God is doing. Uh, Easter weekend in a Baptist church in Vancouver, they decided to, that morning, to invite people to come and be baptized, just like we did, except they just said, on the spot, you know what, we just feel God saying, come right now. This elderly couple in a suit, her Sunday best, they're like 75 years old, they come and jump in the tub in the suit and in her Sunday best. Yeah. The pastor, whose name is Mark, he's like, are, are you sure, like, are you sure, you really want to do it? <laughs> like, he's the one who was, who was like, really, you're going to do this? Like, yeah, of course. Jesus is real. He's risen. He's alive. Let's go. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. (laughs) A world-changing church, secondly, understands it is called for a mission. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this. God prepared in advance. Since the beginning of time, before you were born, God knew you would be here. He knew we would be here. And when, and when this, this book is written not to you, to me individually, it's written collectively. So when it says, for we are God's work, work, workmanship, that's, just not, that's not just we, I, that's we. 
So when he prepared good works for, in advance for us to do, that's us. Not just you individually. Even though we live in an incredibly individualistic culture, Scripture and the gospel is not individualistic. It's personal. It's not individualistic. That flies in the face of Western society. But God in his sovereignty said, I know who these individuals are going to be and I have things planned for each one of them to do and collectively I have called them to be a world-changing church like I have called every church who bears my name to be a world-changing church because it's filled with people who love Jesus and because they are my workmanship. For what purpose? He says in jumping to chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. He says, God's purpose in all of this, the whole gospel presence that he explains, the workmanship that he explains in the first two chapters, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is what I love about the... I, I am absolutely in love with the church. And I know there's lots of skepticism around the church. But Jesus never said, I will build my church unless it doesn't work. Right? He didn't say that in the book of Matthew. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he's the one who builds the church, not us. We're the ones who walk in obedience. And frankly, I get all ticked off when I hear people say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. So my common response is, well, frankly, if you don't love the church, I don't think you love Jesus. And they go, what do you mean? Since I've offended them already. <laughs> I said, well, if you love Jesus, you love what Jesus loves. And I know from reading God's word, Jesus loves the church. So if you don't love what Jesus loves, I don't think you love Jesus. I don't think it's an option. To not love the church or to put the church down is not an option. Does the church have problems? Absolutely. Guaranteed. Or people say to me, you know, I found the perfect church. And my common response is, don't go. <laughs> well, why, why wouldn't I go? It's a perfect church. Well, I know you. You're not perfect. If it's a perfect church and you go there and you're not perfect, you're going to ruin it. <laughs> don't go. Don't do it. When people have come to our church over the years and they go, and they say to me, this church is perfect. I go, they'll be gone in six months. <laughs> why? Because I know you guys. I know me. They're not sticking around if they think we're perfect. Because we're people. It's not the point. Read, the first, read this church. Read about, in fact, read about Corinthians. Read Corinthians sometimes. That place is messed up. It makes us look normal. <laughs> right through Scripture, the church is messed up. That's the first century church. And Jesus says, that is what I will use to change the world. It's the church. That's what he wants to do. And he's got a plan, and that's why the church is on mission, because it fulfills the heart of God for his glory. And then he says, uh, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. So he says he wants to use the church, churches around the world, to declare his wisdom to spiritual powers and principalities in the unseen realms. I go, I don't even understand that. I've looked up like 20 commentaries. Please explain that to me. Every commentary is basically finding an eloquent way of saying we don't know. Because we don't quite get it, other than there's something obviously much bigger than us going on. I could surmise, I could give you some attempts at an answer, but I go, there's a human level going on of people coming to Christ and God changing people 
and, and transforming us to be more like him and doing that in communities and all the healing that happens in that, that's great in and of itself. It is the expression of the kingdom of God, which will come in its fullness when he returns. That's awesome. And then he says, there's this other thing going on up here to declare the wisdom of God in the unseen realms. And he's using us, the bride of Christ, to do that. That's an amazing thing. So when I hear people put down the church, I go, you better watch what you're messing with. Not because I'm a pastor, but because you're messing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is important to him. It's his bride. That's why. A world-changing church leads a faith-filled ministry. <clears throat> Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So 1994, Grant mentioned this, you know, we came here, we started the church. That was our theme verse. It has to be because you have no idea what you're doing. And that's why you pray. You have no idea what you're doing. The problem with humanity is as soon as we think we know what we're doing is we go, I got this, which is utter foolishness, but it's the human condition. And yet God keeps calling us back to places on our knees so that we can do what he wants us to do. I want to tell you a great story. Hugh Morrison Marguerite Valley Baptist Church. We have a picture of it that uh, we'll get them to throw up here. Started in 1835, 90 people. It's on Cape Breton Island. A number of years ago, Hugh felt that, call, that the church was being called to plant churches around the Cabot Trail. So it goes around, it's a four and a half, four and a half hour drive around Cape Breton. So they start praying about this. They start acting on it. And in the last five years, they've planted three churches out of this church of 90 people in the villages going around that trail. Isn't that amazing? Out of 90 people. I, heard, I met Hugh in March, and I heard the story, and I went, okay, every excuse I've ever had not to start another campus or another church just went out the window. Last fall, they started their last one, and uh, 40 people went to start this one, and they were $2,000 in the hole as in the church budget when the 40 people went. By Christmas, uh, when the year end came, they were 2,000 to the good. And the 40 people had gone, and that church was now starting off in this third town. So then obviously they said, well, those 40 people were obviously dragging us down financially. <laughs> Grace Fellowship in Saskatoon. Started in 2011. It's one of our churches there. Meets in a theater downtown Saskatoon. Two years ago, Murray and the team there said, we think we are supposed to start another church, another campus, reaching out to Warman, which is a little uh, bedroom community out of Saskatoon. So they start praying about this. There's 70 members, just over 100 people. And this last fall, they launched, sent out their 20 best and their finances uh, to Warman. I just heard Mark Jansen, who's the pastor there in Warman, talk about how uh, they are now 50 to 80 people in Warman. And, um, and, and the, the church in Saskatoon and the theater is the theater three filled up again because God miraculously provided for them. World-changing churches are faith-filled. You get on your knees and you pray and you pursue. I just had coffee with Pastor Mark the other day, uh, beginning of the week, and, uh, and he said, you know, we've been, he said before, you know, we want to start new campuses. And he said, uh, I said, so what can I, you know, what can I say about that? He said, well, tell the folks in May at our Covenant community meeting, we want to roll this out, and leadership team and staff have been praying about this, about what does that mean? And I got home and I said to Gwen, well, if they start a new campus, we need to think about going. 
Because that's what I think we need to do. That's what God's called us to do. Is to keep seeing what God has for us to be people on mission filled with, that's because we're a church filled with people who love Jesus, who recognize that, that the church is on a mission. And that we live with that sense of urgency. Why? Is it so we can say Sun West is great? No. Points irrelevant. Tells us in verse 21. Glory to him being God in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. That's why. It's for the glory of God. That's why we do these things. For the glory of God. Fourthly, a world-changing church celebrates the gifts God has given the church. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church and the apostle uh, gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do this work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of God. Right? God's given gifts and, and staff and leaders. Why? So that they can do everything and we can watch them? No, it's so that we can do what we're supposed to do so they can equip us to do our part because we're in this all together. Church is never a spectator sport. Church is not like watching a hockey game where you have 20,000 people uh, watching your team on the ice. That's not how it works. That's why the gifts have been given. That's why the classes happen as part of that. But it's to, it's to develop the gifts. It's to tap people on the shoulder and say, I see this in you. So here's the principle at, heart, at the heart of this. I believe that God has given every church everything it needs to do what God has asked it to do. So, so often people say, well, you know, if we had money like the church down the street, if we had a building like the church down the street, then we could really rock and roll. Like then we could do great things for God. That's a lie. God has given Sun West everything it needs to do what he's called this church to do. Otherwise, he's not God. Otherwise, it's, it's a bait and switch to say, hey, I want you to do something. But actually, I have, you know, psych, I haven't given you the, what you need. Sorry. Have fun. Toil away. I said, no, that's not what Scripture teaches. He's given us everything we need to do what he's asked us to do. And if it's not here, that means you pray for it and it'll come at the right time. It's like just-in-time inventory. Right? God just shows up when you need it because he wants you to live by faith, which means we get on our, knee, on our knees and we pray. And in fact, here's the ultimate measure of success, personally and corporately is did you do, personally or corporately, what Jesus asked you to do? He's not asking you to do what I'm supposed to do or vice versa. In fact, if I'm trying to do what you're supposed to do, it's actually, it would actually be sin for me because I'm being disobedient. As Sun West or as you individually, we, would, we don't want to do good things simply because they're good, even though God can use that. We want to do God things because we're walking in obedience and what he's called us to do. So whether you're a church of 50 or a church of 5,000, you can be wonderfully and gloriously successful because you're doing what God asked you to do. So what does that mean? You have to discern what he's asking you to do, personally and corporately. And then here's the tricky part, be obedient. That's the scary part. Be obedient to what he's asked you to do. So the, uh, here's a great story. I know I have to watch my time here. 
but Star Wars is on, right? Um, so uh, Brad Hubert, who's preached in this church before, he's a church planter with us on the other side of town, North Calgary, church called Manifest, just been uh, celebrating its second year. So Brad's been trying to step into being obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. So one day, uh, about a month ago or six weeks ago, he is, uh, through prayer and stuff, he feels like he is supposed to do something uh, with the Catholic school in North Calgary that his, that his kids attend. And uh, it's right beside the Vivo Community Center there. And Brad, you know, has his office in the cafeteria at the Vivo Center. That's church planter talk for we have no home. Um, <laughs> so that's where he studies and whatnot. And so he sees these kids all the time go back and forth. They pray about it. Talks to his daughter who goes to that school. And they decide that to offer the kids free pizza and pop. So she tells her friends and a whole bunch of kids show up. Of course, free pizza and pop. So the kids ask him, why did you do this? And uh, Brad says, well, come back next week and we'll tell you, which is a, a way of a pastor saying, I have no clue. I have to pray and find out. <laughs> That's really what it is. So Brad prays. And as he's praying, he gets a picture in his mind's eye. And in his mind's eye, he's a young guy. Uh, it's a black kid with a shoulder problem. And, uh, and, he th- and he feels the Lord saying, I want to heal him. Like, okay, now what do I do? So next week, lunch is on, and uh, all these kids, a bunch of kids are there again. He says, well, last week you asked why we were here. Um, and so he says, well, I think God wants to do some stuff, and he wants to reveal himself to you, and he talks to them a little bit about that. And then he says, is there anybody here with a shoulder problem, describes the limited motion, and a whole bunch of guys uh, in the room point. Guess what ethnic, ethnicity the guy is he's pointing to? Exactly. It's the black kid. And he says, yeah, I got the sports injury, can't move my shoulder, can't move my arm past this, blah, blah, blah. And Brad says, well, I think the Lord wants to heal you. Can I pray for you? Okay. Prays for him, says, how's your motion? Well, that's better. Can I pray again? Sure. Prays again. He's good. Good to go. Yeah. And, uh, and so, of course, the kid says to Brad, thank you, as if Brad did it. That's happened in scripture before, right? Peter, thank you for healing. No, no, it wasn't me. It was him. He's revealing himself to you. So listen to him. What was the purpose of it? Brad's not quite sure other than, of course, revealing Jesus. But he's just being obedient. See, it's the simple things. How did it start? Brad's just praying. He's just listening. All of a sudden, something happens. Then he goes, oh, no, now I have to obey. Shoot. That's the scary part. It's true for us personally. It's true for us corporately. But that brings glory to God, and that's how God works. But it's through the, through the revelation of our gifts that he does it, because he always does it through people. I'm going to skip verses 14 to 16 for the sake of time. But a world-changing church is a place where people f- pursue, discover their gifts, walk in obedience to the Spirit. And God says that is what success is. Number five, a world-changing church recognizes it is in a spiritual battle. And uh, so often we think that we need human solutions to our problems. And I think that's a big fallacy in the West, partially because of our education, partially because we've experienced success at various levels. We have, you know, the highest standard of living in the world and all these things. And so we think often it's through our ingenuity that things will happen. And God will use our ingenuity, absolutely. But... The enemy is not a person. So 
I've seen more change politically, economically in the last couple of years than I thought would happen in such a short period of time. It's been unbelievable. And I talk to people and they say, well, you know, I think if we had the right mayor, the right premier, the right prime minister, then, you know, we could, then this would be good. And I go, that's bunk. Like, think about it. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Who the mayor is, who the premier is, or who the prime minister is, is completely irrelevant because we know who sits on the throne. Does God use governments? Are they responsible to him? Absolutely. But do we think that a government will dictate what happens to us? Or what the success of the bride of Christ is? Then we've bought into a lie of Satan. The church was thriving in the first 300 years of following Christ in the most oppressive conditions, politically, economically, spiritually. People are being martyred constantly, and we know to this day that where there are martyrs, the church thrives. That's what happens, has always happened. Where does the church struggle? Where affluence, uh, where the church becomes affluent, where the church, in fact, there was a white paper written by the Chinese government a number of years ago that said, we can't stop the underground church, so let's give them room to work, let's validate them, and once we give their pastors standing, their congregations buildings, we will be able to control them. So SunWest is so far behind, it's ahead. They don't have a building. But that's what the Chinese government planned. It's in the 1990s. Let's give them buildings so we can control them. The government does not determine our validity. Will life get tougher for Christ followers? I think so. I've said this a number of times in various settings that I believe in my lifetime, pastors and cannibal end up in prison for preaching the Bible. Because when the Bible is labeled hate literature, then human rights commissions will come after us. So I believe it will happen. Should that slow down the church? No. Will the church lose its tax-exempt status at some point? Yep, I believe it. I don't know when. Does that slow down the church? No. Most countries don't even have tax-exempt status. We're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says, Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on, the full God's, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You put on the full armor of God by spending time in the Word, by listening to what God says you, by writing it down, by walking in obedience and building faith and strength bit by bit by bit. And then we do that corporately as well. And I think that new solutions come. Craig Rochelle, who's a great pastor in the States, watching a little vignette from him the other day, and he's talking about some of the stuff, and he says um, that limited resources with increasing passion creates for exponential innovation. You get that? Limited resources with increasing passion, equals exponential innovation. Why? Because you're forced to think in new ways. It's happened in this church time and time again. We were trying to figure out where are we going to meet? How are we, what kind of place are we going to, how are we going to, how are we going to gather as a people? What are we going to do? We have no facilities. So you pray and new solutions come up that you never thought possible. Lastly, a world-changing church is a praying church. And the only reason this point is last is because it's Ephesians chapter 6. It should probably be first. 
Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Why? So that more than, so that, so that more than you can ask or imagine will take place. That, that will be the reality. We pray because it is what God calls us to, because prayer aligns our will, our, our heart, our mind with the will of God, not so that he comes and lines up with us. We need his heart, his mind, his will, personally and corporately. And when that happens, regardless of whether, like I said, you're 50 people or 5,000 people, you're a world-changing church because you're on his agenda, you're pursuing his presence, his spirit is alive, and the inheritance that he promised you is being lived out and you walk in faith because you believe the immeasurably more because you've seen it. And that is an encouragement to all Christ followers around the globe as the stories are told. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people who have been here over the years and the people you've brought here today, some for the first time. Father, for those who are here today who don't know you, I pray they would take that step of making you their leader and their, their, their forgiver and their friend. Father, that these stories that we talk about, these truths of the book of Ephesians would be each of our realized experiences. Father, I pray that you would come and pour your spirit out on this family called SunWest, not for their glory and their benefit, but for the benefit of the glory, your glory and the benefit of the bride and the transformation of this city, this country, and this world. Father, for those here this morning who are struggling and in pain, I pray they would open their hearts to fellow believers so we could come and be the body of Christ, so we could be your people, your hands and your feet and your words. Father, that we would walk together as your people in greater faith, in greater expectation, in greater sensitivity to your word and to your leading and to your spirit so that the reality of who you are would be declared in the heavenly realms. Thank you, Father, for the church, and thank you for this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.